Happy belated birthday, Isaac. Hope you don't mind me embarrassing you. Um, but that's my job. It's in my job description. You know, so no, not really. But I know you could take it. All right. <laughs> well, we're <laughs> and don't worry, I don't do that with everybody. <laughs> Some of you I know would just melt. Oh, no. <laughs> um, we're back in our study of 1 John this morning, and this is our eighth week, and we're coming into the home stretch because after this week, I think we only have two more sections to go through. So uh, just a couple of weeks left. And each week, as we've looked into this, we're looking at this letter that the Apostle John wrote to a community of believers for which he was responsible for pastoral oversight. And he's talking to this group of, re, uh, uh, of believers that, you know, there had been some difficulty in the, uh, in the congregation. There had been some false teachers that came in and were, you know, teaching something uh, contrary and even heretical and had drawn followers after them. And, and throughout this book, uh, there are th uh, uh, three really key themes that just keep coming up throughout the, the book of 1 John. Three things that just, you know, he hits one and then he hits another and then he hits another and then he goes back and hits that one and then he hits this one again and and that, and those themes, as we've said, uh, you know, each week we're saying these, and I, 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 there's a reason I repeat them each week, and that is because I want us to get to know this book. I want us to become familiar with it. Then as we're reading it our own, we're reading it at home, you know, something will trigger, oh yeah, that's one of the key things, that's one of the themes, you know, I, I need to really look at this. That's one of the themes that John put forth, so. The first one is the incarnation of Christ, that God became man in the person of Jesus. God took on human flesh. That's the, that's the, first, uh, uh, that's the, the, the first of the themes. The second one it has to do with our love for our brothers and sisters uh, in the church body, not just out there, but specifically he's addressing the church body. Um, and then the third one is the relationship between sin and those who are children of God. And as we've looked at that one, we've talked about, you know, how we can know if we're really children of God or not. You know, how do, how, how do we really know? How can we have that assurance? So we're looking at that. And then uh, today's passage, though, the one we're going to look at today deals with the second theme again. And the second theme being uh, uh, our love for our brothers and sisters. Uh, so let me go ahead and read the, uh, the section we're going to look at now. It starts with 1 John 4, verse 7, and it's going to go through the end of the chapter. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he, and he in us. He's given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. 
If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know when rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Well, as we said, this deals with, as you can tell right off the bat, it deals with our love for our brothers and sisters. And it's interesting, he starts this section off by saying, dear friends, that's significant. This is not a for whom it may concern type of letter. Paul is not, or excuse me, John is not writing a philosophical essay. This letter is directed toward the local church the local community of faith. It applies to all of us in the church everywhere, but John's directing his comments toward a local church as the the body of Christ as it finds its expression in the local body of believers. And the reason is that that is how God designed that we should live out our faith, in a body of believers. Not in a perfect church, because you'll never find one. In fact, I love the, the motto, so to speak, of the Dayton Vineyard um, in Dayton, Ohio. They have their, their motto is, it's a pretty good church. Pretty good. Not, not, we are God's gift to the body of Christ. Not, we are the greatest church or the perfect. It's pretty good church. You know, and I, and, and, and I love that. I, I, I love that. And if you know, you know Doug Rowe, uh, you, if you'd know him, uh, which Dorothy does, you'd know that is so fitting for him. So, what? Is yes, it is. <laughs> That's Doug. Um, but, you know, God never intended for us to live isolated lives as disconnected individuals. We are wired for connection. We are programmed for connection. We are purposed for connection in the body of Christ. Now, in verse 7, John commands us to love one another. Now, we've said before, as we go through this series and we touch on this theme, we've said before that as Christ followers, we are to love everyone, right? We are to love family. We are to love friends. We are to love our neighbors. We are to love our enemies. We are even to love the Cincinnati Bearcats. Lord, give me grace. Um, but that, that's, all throughout, that's all throughout the New Testament. But let's not lose sight of the fact that John's, you know, this is, as John writes this, he's specifically directing his comments toward those who are in the local 
community of faith with us. Bringing that closer to home. That means you and I are to love everyone who calls the Bloomington Bloomington Vineyard their home. This includes those who are just like you, and it includes those who are as different from you as night and day. And sitting in this room, we have both. Those that are so much like each other and those that, if it wasn't for Jesus, they would have nothing in common. The love we're commanded to have for each other is not based on our friendships. It's not based on our similarity of opinions. It's not based on our likes or dislikes. It's not based on what team we root for. I mean, let's face it, there are those that put other teams above IU, and we still love them anyway and pray for them especially if it's Michigan or Purdue. Um, where was I? <laughs> All right. You know, it's, it's, it's not based on, on likes or dislikes. It's not based on those who are particularly nice to us. None of that has anything to do with what John is talking about here. He's talking about the people who are sitting in the room with you right now. Those in this room with us right now, the ones and the ones who would normally be here, but for whatever reason they're not here now, he's talking about our local church family. That's how he's addressing this letter. Does it have application beyond? Yes, it does. But it also, we must realize that he's also talking about right here, right now, our church family. So this morning I want to talk about this love that he tells us to have. And, and, you know, as we talk about this, the first thing I want to do is say, let's be clear about where it comes from. Let's be clear about its source. So as we talk about this, let me, let me just ask you, let's be totally honest. I mean, we're in church. It's legal to be honest in church. Um, has there ever been someone that you knew you were supposed to love, but just seemed to always have a hard time following through on that? Yeah, it's like, God, I know I'm supposed to love this person, but heaven help me, I need your grace now. I mean, we've all got those people in our lives. We've all had those peoples, those peoples, those people growing up in our lives. Um, you know, they're, they're always seeming to be doing something that gets under our skin, you know, uh, and, and, you know, at times we may have even said, I, Lord, I just don't have it in me to love that person. Chances are, like I said, there's been at least one person in your life you've said that about. Um, if you're like most of us, probably a couple. Well, the good news is this, and this is going to sound really strange, but let me explain. The good news is that you don't have to have it in you. Because verse 7 says, love comes from God. So we don't have to have it in ourselves to love someone else. It comes from God himself. Now, we still do have to love them. But as with everything else, when God calls us to do something, he also makes available to us the ability and the power to do it. Okay? 
he, he makes that available that we, we have a choice of whether we want to access or not that or not, whether we want to tap into it or not, but he makes that available to us. What we need to do then is to allow it to flow through us because it originates in God. That's where it starts. This is love, not that we loved God. You know, sometimes we think, oh, God, I bet you're glad that I chose you. You know, or, you know, sure, it's good that I chose you. And, and, and God's like just laughing and saying, no, 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 no. You got it backwards. You didn't choose me. I chose you first. And if I didn't choose you, you would never have chosen me. You know, it originates in God. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, the quality of love that we're talking about here never originates with us. It originated with God, and it caused him to send his son as a sacrifice so that the barrier of sin that stood between God and us would be broken. It would be removed from between us. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. This is what we need to understand, that the love we have within us, whether it's love for God or love for our brothers and sisters or anyone else, the love that we have within us is a response. It's always a response to the love that he pours out into our lives. And that's significant because it says it's not a man-made kind of love. It's not a kind of love that we can just work it up, that we can just, you know, Oh, if I try hard enough, I'm going to get this, you know. If, if I'm nice enough to this person for a long enough time, then I'll start to love him. No, it starts with God, and we need to recognize that. Uh, neither can we do anything to earn it or deserve it. it. We just receive it. It originates with God, who the Bible says is love, and flows through us, into us and through us as we begin to abide in him. And as we abide in him and he abides in us, he starts shining through us. He starts flowing through us with you know, his love flowing out from us by his spirit into others. So it originates with God. And the second thing was it man- it's manifested in Jesus. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. And in other words, this is how he demonstrated it. This is how he proved it. This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The kind of love we're talking about, is a, it's, it, it, it's much deeper than a feeling. A lot of times we think of love as a feeling, and it certainly can contain feelings. But this kind of love we're talking about is much deeper than that. It's the the selfless, sacrificial, put-others-before-yourself kind of love that we see in Jesus, that we see exemplified in Jesus, that we see modeled in Jesus. Jesus is our model. He's the one we look to for this. He's the one that we look to to say, I want to love like that. I want to love like Jesus lived. Even before he laid down his life on the cross, Jesus loved and served his disciples. 
in a way that they had never seen before. So God's love is it it's originates with God. It's manifest in Jesus. And then it's perfected in us. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Now, side note here, when John says no one has ever seen God, meaning the Father, nobody's ever seen the Father, he's making a reference here. Remember we mentioned the false teachers earlier on? He's making a mention to uh, the false teachers who had claimed to have seen visions of God. They claimed that, that they had visions of God and they, that that's where they received the special knowledge that they claimed to have, which was you know contrary to truth. And so John just sets the record straight, rejects that outright, says no one's ever seen God, the Father. The real test of truth is not a, not a vision of God, but rather the presence of God abiding in us. As, a, as evidenced by the love they express to each other in the community of faith. That's the real test of truth. That's the real test of love. This love, he says, is made complete in them. The word complete is uh, to be made perfect or to mature. Um, the Hebrew Greek Key Study Bible says it means to bring to a perfect state of blessedness and glory so as to win and receive the prize. In other words, receiving and stepping into the love that God pours out into our lives and letting that same love overflow to others. It's what it's talking about by mature love, by complete love, by perfect love. The us receiving and stepping into the love that God pours out into our lives and letting that same love overflow to others. That's the way we become the person that God created us to be. That's how we begin to step into and walk into everything that God has laid out before us, everything he's designed for us. And do you know what provides the opportunity for that to happen? Anybody want to venture a guess? What provides the opportunity for that to happen? Fellowship with God. Yeah, being a friend of God, that's good. But even a little more than that, what actually down to earth, where the rubber meets the road? Relationships. Relationships. It happens through relationships as we're in fellowship with god and we're receiving that love it happens through relationships are the arena in which love is lived out the way that love is given the way it's received the way it's expressed the way it's tested the way it's experienced all happens in the course of our relationships the way we learn to be like jesus is by going through our day-in and day-out relationships with each other. Especially those that don't come easily. That's the real test. Those, you know, you look around and you're, you look at your friends, you look at, at those people you're close to and you love going places with them, you love doing things with them, and you love just being around them. It's like, yeah, we have a good time with this and that. You know, those are easy. 
those are easy. And when something happens that makes something go a little bit south there, it's a lot easier to get through that. Hey, you know, I know this person. I know that's not what they meant. You know, those are easy. But it's the times where our relationships are difficult. It's, the, it's, it's where we are uh, experiencing hard times with someone. Those people that we talked about earlier that can be hard to love. You see, it's in those relationships that the love of God is perfected in us. And as it is perfected in us, that's where we have the opportunity and that's where we have the uh, ability uh, where we are begin to be formed into becoming more like Jesus. Jesus is formed in us in the midst of those, especially the, all relationships, in the midst of the difficult ones in particular. This is how love is made complete among us. In this world, we're like Jesus. When we can be like Jesus, when, you know, in our relationships, when that's hard to do, when we can do that, that's when somebody can look at us and see a reflection of Jesus. Not when things are easy, not when everything is going great and we're with our friends, but when we love somebody that is so different from us and is difficult, that we find in our humanness, in our flesh, difficult to love. When we love them, that's when we are most like Jesus. Jesus, just as Jesus lived his life abiding in the love of the Father, so we also live in this world abiding in the love of the Father. As Jesus did, we do. So think of God's love like this. Think of God's love like a powerful river just flowing from the presence of God. Anybody ever been to Niagara Falls? I tell you, the power there. I can remember, it's been years since I've gone, but I can remember going up and walking up to that railing when you're just so close to this powerful force of water just falling, just rushing and over those over over the the rocks there and just over that falls the power that's behind that so think of god's love like a powerful river like that just flowing rushing from the presence of god you know psalm 46 uh, verse 4 says there is a river whose streams make glad the city of god the holy place where the most high dwells so there is a river of God's spirit, God's love, just flowing from his throne, makes glad the city of God. The love of God flows by his spirit from his presence into our hearts and out from us to those around us. And it's a powerful river. It's a river that changes the course of lives and that transforms the human heart. And it all started, it all originated with God. 
It originated in him, and it targets us. Now, what's it like? What is this love like? One, the nature of this love, there, there, there's four different words that the Greek uses. I think most of you have heard this, but there's four different words that the Greek language translates as love in the English. Okay, in English, we have the one word love. In, in uh, Greek, they had four different words. And the word here used here is agape love. Agape love. It's been described as the God kind of love. It's not a sentimental feeling. It's not based on attraction. It's not based on obligation. It is a choice, something we choose. And it describes the nature of God himself. So let me briefly give you three characteristics of this kind of love. One, it's a selfless love. It considers others first. Verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's a selfless love. And this selfless love, it's, it's this selfless love that caused the Father to send His Son to give, a, to give His life as a sacrifice for our sins. That's a selfless love. It was selfless love that caused Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, to wash the, the feet of His disciples, including Judas, who He knew was about to betray Him. Caused Jesus to wash the feet of His disciples and that's amazing in itself. That's, that's astounding in itself. But think about this. He did that as he was about to face the most intense suffering and testing of his life. And he knew it. And instead of being, you know, focusing, okay, i got to psych myself up for this time of trial I'm about to face, for the suffering I'm about to face. I've got to try to prepare my heart and get ready for that. What's he doing? He's washing the feet of the disciples. He's thinking about them. He's giving an example for them to follow. He's not thinking about himself. Selfless love doesn't ask, what can I get out of this? Rather, selfless love asks, what can I contribute? How can I help? How can I serve? How can I meet this need? Now, along with selfless love, it's also faithful love. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. It's faithful love. It doesn't let us down. It doesn't fail. You can count on it. You can depend on it. It's faithful. And the third kind of love is it's transforming love. Verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, drives it from our lives. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, that should tell us right there that this is something that every one of us has to grow in this area, right? Because Let's face it, we all have things that we fear. We all have times that we become fearful. Sometimes we deal with them well, sometimes we don't, but those things hit us. So we all, this is something that we all need to grow in. The more we experience the love of God, though, the less place we will give to fear in our lives. Now, 
Just to clarify, when we talk about fear, we're not talking about the fear of the Lord. We're not talking about fear in the sense of that we are to reverence God. We're not talking about that. This has to do with fear in the sense of, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're fearing punishment. We're fearing retribution. Uh, we're talking about fear in the sense that causes us to doubt that we can trust, trust God in every circumstance. Uh, the fear that says that God's not going to or is not going to be able to take care of us or handle this problem that we're experiencing in our lives. There's a lack of confidence then in the faithfulness of God. That's the kind of fear we're talking about. It's the fear that makes us think that God is always just waiting for us to slip up so he can just drop the hammer on us, so he can just lower the boom. Aha, I caught you. Now you're going to pay. You know, it's that kind of fear that we're constantly walking and, you know, afraid of messing up because God's going to get us. It's the fear that tells us that everyone else is judging us and talking about us so we can't really be open with them about our struggles. It's the, it's the fear that keeps us from community, that keeps us from being able to open up with each other and, 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 and be honest with each other at times because we're afraid of how they're going to respond. We're afraid they're no longer going to love us. They're af we're afraid that, that they're going to reject us. They're, we're afraid that, that they're going to, to judge us and, and no longer like us or want to be around us. But the more that we walk in and experience the selfless, faithful, transforming love of God as He pours it into our lives and as we experience it through a community of believers, then our lives will never be the same. We find ourselves transformed by His love. Not just changed, but transformed. When you're changed... You know, I, I, I always like, you would always say, you know, I love to see a life changed, and I do. But when you're changed, sometimes you can go back to be unchanged, right? Time, things happen. But when you're transformed, you are no longer that person anymore. You're a new creation, that's right. You're no longer that person anymore. You're a different person I couldn't begin. I couldn't begin to go back to the person I was before the summer of 78. Summer of 78. I was looking forward to my senior year at, I, at IU. Involved in all kinds of stuff that I shouldn't be involved in. I mean, I spent my 21st birthday at a keg party getting stoned. All kinds of stuff. that, And I, I was not a good person. The only redeeming quality about me was Lisa. <laughs> you know, she, she, she had given her life to the Lord that spring in March of 78. And for four months was an interesting time in our, in our marriage.
but I saw a difference in her life. I mean, I resisted everything she said. I fought everything she said. I set out to prove her wrong. But inside, I knew this was a different person than she was before. Her life had been transformed. And there was something in me that wanted that. And I would end up going to this church that she had started going to with somebody that she worked with. I visited there a couple of times. And boy, it was weird. Boy, it was strange. I mean, let me tell you, it, it was, and there was nothing that I had in common with anybody in that church. But I would go and visit it sometimes. And when I would go, the thing that spoke to me was I felt genuine love from these people who didn't know me, from these people who had nothing in common with me, nothing in common with my lifestyle or anything else, but they had Jesus in them. And they loved me with that kind of love. And at the end of July of 78, I surrendered my heart and I said, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. And I began the process of stepping out of all the stuff that I was in. Some of it immediately. Some of it took a little bit of time. But I had someone praying for me. Someone loving me. My pastor looked at me. And he came to know everything that you know I was involved in. And he prayed for me. He was praying for me when, you know, I'm up here and he was down in Bedford and and God transformed my life. Now everything didn't happen all at once. I'm still growing. Hopefully all of us are still growing in our faith. We never reach that place where we've got it all together. And as soon as we do, then it's evidence that we don't because we think that. <laughs> but my life was transformed. I couldn't begin to go back to the person I was because I'm not that person anymore. We talk a lot about the love of God. I'm going to wrap it up here in just a minute. But we talk about the love of God. We talk a lot about it. And, oh, yes, God is love, and he loves us, and you know, we, we say we love him and all that. We need to realize that that love that we're talking about goes so much deeper than what we realize. We are just scratching the surface. And I want to challenge you. Every single one of you, I want to challenge you. When you get alone with God, talk to Him, cry out to Him, and just ask Him, God, reveal Your love to me. Reveal Your heart to me. And then the part two of that is, and help me to show that love 
to those around me, to those in my church body, and out. Start praying that and watch what happens. You'll be amazed. And as he works in your heart and begins to transform your, your life, every time he wants to do something, just begin to say, yes. Don't, uh, don't say, oh, but, you know, I would, but, I could, but, get rid of that. You can say, I don't know how, Lord. But if you'll help me, I'll do it. And he will help you. He is the only one that can transform lives. Only one. Mankind in himself might be able to have you know, behavior modification, might be able to change some behaviors, but only Jesus can transform the heart. Let's stand.